with me on this, and I never could get it into a format that I felt like I could share, and then uh, I never felt like I had the green light really from the Lord, from the Holy Ghost to share it. And so tonight, I, ha- I hope I have both. I, ha- I hope I have it in a format that I can share and that it'll make sense to you. And then secondly, I do feel like God's given me the green light that it's the word for the hour t- tonight that we need to hear this. It's very basic in a lot of ways, but in other ways, it's not so basic. Um, and so I want you to give ear to the word of the Lord tonight. I want to read from um, Ephesians chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 6. Verses 10 through 17. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 17. And um, just remain seated for the preach or for the reading of the word. It's a a rather lengthy reading. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles. Of the devil. I want you to notice right here, he, uses, he says stand, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Watch this. He, 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 he's going to mention stand some, three more times here. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all... To stand. Stand therefore. I think he's wanting us to stand. How about you? Having your loins girt about with truth and having the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Now all of that was simply just set up and background for my text. All right, um, Here's the text right here and it's really the last part. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And my title tonight, my subject is, There is no sword like this one. I'm going to talk to us about the Word of God tonight. Now there is a a volcano, an active volcano in Iceland. And I cannot pronounce the name of it, so I've had them put it on the screen for your pleasure. If you can pronounce that, you're a better linguist than I. That's the name of the volcano. That volcano erupted in Iceland back in 2010. And um, the curator of the nearby Skogar Folk Museum took with him only one thing as he was fleeing that volcano. He had, had 15,000 objects to choose from out of his museum. He paused, looked around. He was surrounded by the personal and material history of an entire nation. He walked out with a book in his hands. Now, to understand a little bit about the the printing history of Iceland, around 1530, the first printing press on the island was shipped to the resident Catholic bishop. In 1550, the Catholic clergy were killed when Iceland was converted to Protestantism, but the printing press was left untouched. Afterward, the Bishop of Holman used the printing press to produce the first complete Bible in the Icelandic language. At least one was distributed to every church on the island, 
And it was, this was published in 1584. It was 600 pages long, and it was printed in an edition of, of 500 books, each one valued, get this, at the price of three cows. Every parish on the island had to pledge to buy at least one. A few still remain to this day in their original houses of worship. And one 1584 Bible was in the museum that day in Skogar. And that is the book that the curator of the Skogar Museum selected as the only thing worth saving from the volcano. I want you to know that the word of God is of immeasurable value in our lives. Nothing can take the place of the Word of God. If there's anything in our lives that should be reverenced and guarded, defended, if there's anything that we should have righteous fervor about, it is the Word of God. I'll go by f- further by saying that if we're going to be successful in navigating this day, in fact, I would say if we're going to thrive in the hour in which we live, we must give priority to the Word of God in our lives. There's a fascinating setting of Scripture found in 1 Samuel 21. I challenge you to read it uh, when you go home tonight. This is that portion of Scripture where David is on the run. And he left in such a hurry that he took no food, he took no weapons, and he found himself at the tabernacle talking to the priest, Ahimelech. And the story plays out like an epic I can just see it. To me, it's, it's like a great novel of, of epic proportions. David is starving, and he asks the priest, he says, is there any food here? The priest gives him showbread, holy bread, consecrated bread. There's a great sermon and Bible study there. And then David says, you know what? I was in such a hurry, I need a weapon. Do you have anything in the form of a weapon here in the tabernacle? And the priest just casually replies and says, well, only the sword of Goliath, whom you slayed, you know, just, just by the by, that does happen to be here. And I love what David said right there. And it's where I drew the inspiration for this title, even though it's not word for word. David said, give it to me. There is none like that one. Now, Goliath's sword would have looked a lot different than this one. But I had to have a prop. I mean, a message like this, you've got to have a prop. And I thank young Heston for hooking me up with his sword. But I can just imagine David taking Goliath's sword. It, it had to be massive. It had to be huge. He, he, he hefted it. And he knew that it was a superior weapon. He knew it was battle-tested. He knew it was ready for warfare. He knew the heft of it. He knew the sharpness of the blade. He knew the power of it. He was well acquainted with this sword because after all, he had relieved Goliath of it, shall we say. And he said, there is no sword like that one. I'll be happy to take that one into battle. I'll be happy to run from my enemies with that one, for, with that one until God tells me to turn and slay them. I want you to know we have a sword today. It's the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It has been battle-tested, and it is sharper than any two-edged sword, and it does have great power. And it is our weapon today, in this hour, in this moment, against the enemy of our soul. It is the weapon that will help us stand. Having done all to stand, this is what's going to help us stand. 
And with all the voices swirling through culture and vying for our attention and our affection, it is the voice of the Word of God that is our best defense. And in fact, it is our best offense because there is no sword like the Word of God. I want to talk to us tonight about the Word of God. It is a most divine weapon. It is a most divine weapon. That the Bible is the Word of God takes faith to believe, yet we are scarcely without proof. The Scriptures claim to be inspired roughly 2,500 times. In the Old Testament, 3,000 times the Old Testament claims to be the Word of God. About 170 times in Psalms 119 alone, the Scriptures are exalted as the Word of God. Jesus referred to the major divisions of the Old Testament in Luke 24, 44. He says this, He said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. That is concerning Jesus. Jesus certified the Old Testament with that statement. Here he mentions the three major sections of the Hebrew Old Testament. These were ancient divisions that would have been readily recognized by Jesus' Jewish audience. The law was the first five books of Scripture. The prophets included major and minor prophets, Joshua, Judges, Samuel, Kings. And the Psalms were a general broad division that included Psalms, Proverbs, Job, Song of Solomon, Ruth, Lamentations, Ezekiel, I'm sorry, Ecclesiastes, Esther, Daniel, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Chronicles. All three major divisions of the Old Uh, the ancient Hebrew Old Testament Jesus referred to in that statement saying they certified and spoke of him. Peter affirmed the veracity of the Gospels when he wrote in 2 Peter 1.16 For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Paul declared that the epistles were the commandments of the Lord in 1 Corinthians, 13, for, uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 37. If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. Again, turning to Peter, who acknowledged Paul's writings of Scripture, 2 Peter 3, 16 and 15, he mentions Paul and goes on to say, his epistles speaking in them of these things in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures. So he refers to Paul's writing as scripture in 2 Peter 3.16. But perhaps the most emphatic verse pertaining to the divine inspiration of the Bible, stating clearly that it not only contains the Word of God, but it is the Word of God, an important distinction, is 2 Peter 1.21. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved on by the Holy Ghost. I think there's a verse very closely related to that in 2 Timothy 3.16 when Paul wrote, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in Righteousness. That word inspiration, it's the Greek word theonoustos, and it means God breathed. 
So where Peter said holy men spake as they were moved by God, God moved on the Spirit of God moved on them. Paul, or Paul says to Timothy that it was the inspiration or the breathing of God, the God breath that put the Scriptures onto paper. So the Word of God is divine. And I, I want to make that distinction again. It doesn't contain the Word of God. It is the Word of God. Very important. Consider with me the divine phenomenon of the Word of God. Consider this. If ever a book, if ever there was a book that, that today still stands as the book, it's the Bible. Consider that there were never any instructions given to man to plan the Bible. That is to say, there was no concerted, organized effort to write the Bible in the sense of publishing a coherent book. Listen to this. It was written little by little, century by century, by over 40 various writers without intentional forethought of planned arrangement. It was written on three continents in countries hundreds of miles apart for over a span of 1,600 years. It was written in Syria, Italy, Greece, Arabia, the desert of Sinai, the wilderness of Judea, the cave of Adullam, the prison of Rome, the Isle of Patmos, the rivers of Babylon, and by the banks of the Chabar. It was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. The first part was written about 1,500 years before the man who wrote the last part was even born. The authorship of the 66 books that collectively make up what we refer to as the Bible extends over 16 centuries. It was written by men on every level of political and social life, from the king on his throne all the way down to herdsmen, herdsmen, shepherds, and fishermen. These sacred words were written by princes, poets, philosophers, and physicians. Writers that had the wisdom of Egypt, the education of Babylon, and had training at the feet of Gamaliel. It was written in tents, deserts, cities, palaces, and dungeons. It was written in times of imminent danger and ecstatic joy. What would you naturally expect of a book with a background that diverse? We would naturally anticipate a volume that was unorganized and lacking in any sort of organic unity. But in the case of the Bible, we find exactly the opposite. Instead, we find the most marvelous unity of any book on the earth. Every part of the Bible fits in with every other part of the Bible. Imagine, imagine if you would, taking the great writers across various centuries. For instance, take Augustine. Come down through time and select parts of Dante, Milton, and Spencer. Add in fragments of Bacon, Calvin, and Knox. Take Shakespeare, Bunyan, Newman, and Tennyson. Continue until you have 40 or 50 writers representative of the last several thousand years. Bind them all into one volume, and you would have a rough kind of literary parallel to the range of the material used by the Holy Spirit in composing the Bible. And yet, a combining of works of these authors into one volume would produce a philosophical and literary mess full of contradictions and rife with changes of the evolution of human thought. But with the Bible, there is a perfect harmony throughout Scripture from the first verse of Genesis to the last verse of Revelation. The Bible, with its miscellaneous collection of writing and despite the various conditions authors and epochs of time is not only unified into one book, it really is one book. It would be another Bible study for another time to consider just some of the prophecies that 
were prophesied in one portion of the Bible and were fulfilled later in other portions of the Bible. Or to consider the awe-inspiring ways that the theme of Jesus Christ and the plan of salvation run like a thread through the Bible from beginning to end. But let me just say briefly, of the approximately 300 prophecies concerning Jesus Christ, all were fulfilled, over 24 of them fulfilled on crucifixion day alone. You might say that the Old Testament is the story of the preparation of the coming of Jesus. The Gospels record the manifestation of Jesus. Acts recounts the propagation of the gospel of Jesus. The epistles are the explanation of the message of Jesus. And the revelation presents the consummation of the return of Jesus. We find a unity. We find a, 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 a fitting in like hand in glove from beginning to end. We find one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one doctrine, one plan of salvation, one ethic of faith. And it's because it is a most divine weapon. And that's why I say today there is no sword like this one. The Bible is a most indestructible weapon. The Word of God is most indestructible. It is eternal. It will last forever. Matthew 24, 35 says, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall never pass away. Psalm 119, 89, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. It's eternal. It can't be destroyed. It will last forever. People have tried to destroy it. I challenge you to read Jeremiah 36. I'll never forget Brother Jerry Hutchison preached an amazing message from this passage, Jeremiah 36, here at Grace Church, called Perilous Pen Knives. I'll never forget it. The king, God instructed Jeremiah to write the word of God. And the king just took it, took the word from Jeremiah and began to cut it with a pen knife and throw it into the fire. Cut it with a pen knife and throw it in the fire. And God instructed Jeremiah, said, go back and rewrite it. I want you to write it again. And the point is, for the purposes of what I'm trying to say, is that the word of God cannot be, de- cannot be destroyed. Through history, there have been times where they have tried to stamp it out. They've tried to burn it, destroy it, get rid of it. But it still exists. It's still the world's bestseller ever. It's been translated. uh, It's the most translated book in all the world. It's been completely translated into almost 300 languages and partially into over 2,000 languages. Why? Isaiah 40, verse 8. The grass, grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. The Bible is eternal. It's not going to be destroyed. Our challenge, the challenge for you and the challenge for me, is to grasp it and to never let it go. See, it occurs to me in our text tonight, we read about the whole armor of God. And most of it is something you put on. You put on a helmet. You put on the breastplate of righteousness. You put on the shoes of faith. But the sword of the Spirit and the shield of faith is something we have to grasp. We have to pick it up. We have to hold on to it. And as such, in the heat of the battle, we could lose our grasp of it. It could get knocked out of our hands. We could set it down and pick up something of lesser value or of lesser worth or of lesser sustainability in the battle. We have to take hold of this this sword of faith and hold on to it and use it to our use because there is no sword like the Word of God. It is a most powerful weapon. This weapon is a most powerful weapon. The reason is, is there's power in the spoken word. Now, I don't want, I don't want this point to be lost on you because the, the Bible says the power of life and death is in the tongue. 
There is power when we speak the Word of God. Whether that's from our memory, from something we memorized, or whether we read it out loud. When you speak the Word of God, there is power in the Word of God. And I want you to get that. We need that in this day. We need that in this moment. We need that in this hour. We need the power and the authority that comes from using the Word of God as a weapon. It's a most powerful weapon. The Bible says the word, that God spoke and the words came out of His mouth were enough to create the universe and create the worlds. Hebrews eleven three through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God so that things which are seen were not made of those things which do appear. Jesus said, Whatsoever we bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever we loose on earth shall loose in heaven. That's talking about things that we speak. We speak it on earth. It's done. It's done in heaven. We speak it to the will of God and in authority it's done. I've long been fascinated and meditated a great deal and a great deal of study on Psalms chapter 138 verse 2. And I've got some thoughts on it. I've got some ideas on it. I I took them out of my notes. I decided not to share them. They need to be probed a little bit more. I need to run them by pastor and some of our resident scholars here at Grace Church. But I am going to share with you what one theologian wrote, and I think it, it, gives us, it gets to the point. Psalms 138, verse 2, I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. I'm talking about how powerful the word of God is. Thou hast magnified the word above all thy name. Let me tell you what Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, said about this verse. He says... The name of the Lord in nature is not so easily read as in the Scriptures, which are a revelation in human language, specially adapted to the human mind, treating of human need and of a Savior who appeared in human nature to redeem humanity. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but the divine word will not pass away. And in this respect especially, it has a preeminence over every form of manifestation. Moreover, The Lord lays all the rest of His name under tribute to His Word. His wisdom, His power, His love, and all His other attributes combine to carry out His Word. It is His Word which creates, sustains, quickens, and enlightens, and comforts. As a word of command, it is supreme, and in the person of the incarnate Word, it is set above all the works of God's hands. That's what Spurgeon interprets this verse to mean. Bottom line is this, there is power in the Word. And that power is yours, and that power is mine if we will pick up the sword and use it. The Bible says the Word of God is quick. That means it's alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Psalms 149.6, let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. I'm telling you, in this day, you've got to use the Word of God in prayer. You've got to declare it over your family. You've got to quote it to the enemy. You've got to quote it to yourself. You've got to use this powerful, powerful, powerful weapon that we've been given. And the victorious Christian in 2020 is going to be the Christian who picks it up and uses it to win battles and take back territory and walk with God in power. That's the power of the Word of God. It's divine, it's indestructible, and it's powerful. So, 
I have a question for you tonight. It feels pretty quiet in here right now. And it's about to get a whole lot quieter. Why then, knowing that it's so powerful, knowing that it's indestructible, knowing that it's divine, why is the Word of God a most underused weapon? How come as Christians, as apostolics, we do not use the Word of God as we should? To use it in authority, to declare it in power, to use it as a weapon. In 2019, which was just last year, I know that feels like about 100 years ago, but that was just last year, Lifeway did some research, and they say that one-third of American Christians, no, I'm sorry, one-third of American Protestants read their Bible every day. I don't think that's very good. About one-fourth, 27% read it a few times a week. Now... Barna, the the famous researcher that researches Christian dynamics and culture, he did a study in 2018, and he got it a little higher, did a little better. Stay with me. Overall, about half of Americans are Bible users, okay? So half of Americans are Bible users. Isn't that a great statistic? Here's how he defines Bible usage. These are people that engage with the Bible on their own by using listening to, watching, praying, or using Bible text in any format, not including at church. You ready? Three to four times a year. He got it up to 50% by, and this is my opinion, I don't know what his intentions were, but he broadened that definition so much, and that's how he got it to 50%. I say that the Bible usage is not what it should be, bottom line. In a way... In a way, to me, I don't, I, don't know if this, I don't know if I can get this across like I'm thinking it, but it, to me, it's almost like the Dark Ages in reverse. You remember in the Dark Ages, the people didn't have the Word of God, so the, the ministry took it and they used it in a very abusive and manipulative way, and the people were just kind of left to their own devices. It was what the clergy said and nothing else because they didn't have access to the Word of God. Well, now we have infinite access to the Word of God. In every format possible, in every translation, every language you, you want to read. And we're content to just not read it and not use it and let the clergy tell us about it. And we'll accept them at face value. And I don't know if it makes sense to you, but to me, that's the dark ages in reverse. It's time to go back and pick up this most underused weapon and use it to our advantage. There's no greater weapon to take dominion over the enemy. No greater weapon to speak peace to your mind and faith to your soul. No greater weapon to pray over your kids and your family. No greater weapon to declare in prayer. No greater weapon to hold on to until you see the answers that you've been praying for. It's time to fall in love with the Word of God again. I remember uh, in 2 Samuel 23, that mighty man by the name of Eleazar, the Bible says he fought with the sword against the Philistines all day. And he fought so hard that the sword cleaved to his hand which means that at the end of the day, they had to pry that sword out of his hand. He had been fighting with it so hard and fighting with it so advantageously. That's how we ought to be with the Word of God. To say it like my grandfather used to say, he was talking about guns, but he said, I'm saying the Bible, they can have it when they come pry it out of my cold, dead hands because I'm fighting with it, because I'm using it, because I've got authority with it until they they can't take it away from me because it's my one go-to weapon 
that is most effective. Jesus used it as a weapon. You know this, this, the enemy came to him and tempted him three times in the wilderness. It is written, it is written, it is written, Jesus said, and the Bible says Satan left him for a season. We all go through seasons of temptation. We all go through seasons of, uh, of testing and trial and, and times. The Bible is the best weapon. It's the best defense. It's the best offense. The Bible is our authority. Why? Why? Here's the bottom line. Why is it so critical? Why is it so critical to have the Word of God at work in our lives? I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to go back to 2 Peter 3. And this is the verse I read to you about Paul's writings being Scripture. And look at, let's look at it from a different light. Look at what Peter says. Also in all of his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest. The word rest there means twist. They that are unlearned and unstable twist. And they do also the other Scriptures to their own destruction. Verse 17, Ye therefore, beloved, seeing you know these things before, beware lest you also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. That's why the Word of God is so important. Because we live in a day now where people are twisting the Word of God. They're using the Word of God in any way, in any possible thing to mean anything they want it to mean. And if you don't know truth, if you don't know the Word of God, you'll be swept away. Hosea 4 and 6, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. You've heard that quoted many times. But are you familiar with what the rest of the verse says? To me, I don't want to say there's no more gripping verse in the Bible because there are other gripping verses, but this one grips me right here. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee, that thou shalt be no priest to me, seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God, I also will forget thy children." Now, I'm not, I, we live in the day of grace, and I'm not saying that God is going to cut anybody off because of lack of knowledge. But I am saying He has the right to do that, and He has the prerogative to do it. And I like what Pastor said Sunday. He's patient with us, and He's going to help us. But I'm telling you, you've got to be in pursuit of truth. And you've got to be standing true on truth, or standing sure on truth. And you've got to know the Bible, or else you will be destroyed in this day. You, know, you shouldn't take a verse that somebody has posted on social media out of context and just take it at face value and say, wow, I never knew the Bible said that. I guess that means A, B, and C. You need to study it out for yourself. You need to find out for yourself. You need to know what thus saith the word of the Lord. But we live in a day where anybody has a platform to say anything and twist any scripture any way they want. You've got to know the truth. You've got to know the Bible. Give us a love for the word. So... In the remaining few moments that I have, I hope that I've demonstrated that the Word of God is powerful, that it's divine, that it's indestructible. I'm hoping I've challenged you to use it. I want to spend the rest of our time on four points. How we can use the Word as a weapon. So if this is what we ought to be doing, if we ought to be picking up a sword, maybe I ought to pick up this sword. We ought to be picking up a sword how then do we do that? And I want to make four comments, four points. And I am, I'm kind of sounding an alarm tonight. I'm, I'm, I'm shooting a warning shot, if you will, tonight. I want this to become Grace Church culture. I want this to just be us. When you think Grace, a member of Grace Church, this, I want these to be four defining points for us. Number one, we memorize the Word. 
Now, you've seen the emphasis that we've put on Bible quizzing. This is why. This is a part of our culture. This is part of who we are at Grace Church. We believe in Bible quizzing. But it's not just for our children. It's not just for our students. It's for our adults. And one of the great advantages of having a Bible quizzer in, the, in your home is that you kind of pick up on the Scriptures yourself. You begin memorizing them yourself. But if you don't have a Bible quizzer in your home, you've got to take some initiative and, and be a Bible quizzer in that sense yourself. You've got to memorize Scripture. It's critical. It's critical. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. You've got to have the word in your heart and in your mind. And you may be saying, I want to tell you, there is testimony after testimony after testimony of people with learning disorders, people that have challenges along this line with memorization, even some of the kids that have had difficulty in school, and they start memorizing Scripture, and they start getting healed of, mental, of, 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 of memorizing disorders, of learning disorders, all those things. God will help you memorize Scripture. If that's not your strong suit and you you legitimately feel like you have some needs, being very respectful, but you watch and see, you put it to the test. God will help you memorize Scripture. You can do it. You can do it. Listen to what Darlene Dibler Rose, she was an American missionary who spent four years in a Japanese prison camp in World War II. She writes in a book called Evidence Not Seen. It's a little bit long, but listen. As a child and young person, I had had a driving compulsion to memorize the written word. In the cell, I was grateful now of those days in vacation Bible school when I had memorized many single verses, complete chapters and psalms, as well as whole books of the Bible. In the years that followed, I reviewed scriptures often. The Lord fed me with the living bread that had been stored against the day when fresh supply was cut off by the loss of my Bible. He brought daily comfort and encouragement, yes, and joy to my heart through knowledge of the word. I had never needed the scriptures more than in these months on death row. And since so much of his word was here in my heart, it was not a punishment that, they, that my captors thought it would be when they took my Bible. Now, we've all heard stories like that. I haven't read anything to you you haven't heard before. But we're living in a day now where all of us don't have to stretch our imagination too far, where we may find ourselves in a place where we're relying on our Bible knowledge and what we've committed to our heart and our memory. Those days may not be as far off as we think they are. It's important that we put the Word of God in our memory. If we're going to use the Word of God as it has been given to us, we've got to know it. We've got to memorize it. Second point is, is we've got to read the Word. Now, I'm going, to, I'm going to get a little bit into the physical Word of God here in just a minute, but suffice it to say, we need to read it on page and ink, and not just on tablet and phone. I'll come to that in a minute. But you've heard this, but it's true. If you read the Bible 15 minutes a day, every day for 365 days, you'll read the Bible through in a year. That's, that's not... That's not that tough. You, you can read the Bible in 15 minutes. But even if that's not your goal, it, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be. I, I'm not saying it has to be your goal to read the Bible through. Maybe you want to. Maybe you don't. That's okay. But just read something. Find a Bible plan. You may want to read through the Gospels. You may want to read through the wisdom literature. You may want to read through uh, the Old Testament prophets. What, but find you a plan and read it every day. Read the Word of God. Find a plan that captures your interest, your imagination. And find a format you can read. Now, I didn't say translation. I said format. If you need large print, get large print. 
Dawson came to me the other day and said, Dad, I'd like to read the Bible chronologically as it happened. There's Bibles that, that have that set up for you. If that's a format that works for you, get it. I, right now, I tell you the Bible I'm reading, it's fascinating to me. It retains chapter and verse. They're very, it's very small. It's very unintrusive. And the, the, it puts the, the Bible, the content out in paragraph form. And it's fascinating how complete thoughts kind of come together around paragraphs. And where our chapters end and begin isn't always the end and beginning of a new thought. And it's very fascinating to read the Bible that way. And that's what I'm talking about, format. Find a format that engages you. I like that because I like to read. And so it puts it kind of in a format that we're used to reading in our Western American culture when we read. So find a format that works for you, but read the Bible. Whatever it looks like, read the Bible. Another lengthy quote here from Eugene Peterson. But this, if you could get a hold of what he's saying here, this is the battle cry right here. This will change your life. This, to me, it, it, it's, this is as best said as it can get. Eugene Peterson said, As we cultivate a participatory mindset in relation to our Bibles, we need a complete renovation of our imaginations. We are, get this, we are accustomed to thinking of biblical, uh, I'm sorry, we are accustomed to thinking of the biblical world as smaller than the secular world. Telltale phrases give us away. We talk of making the Bible relevant to the world as if the world is the fundamental reality and the Bible something that is going to help fix it. We talk of fitting the Bible into our lives or making room in our day for the Bible as if the Bible is something that we can add on to or squeeze into already full lives. What we must never be encouraged to do is to force Scripture into our experience Our experience is too small. It is like trying to put the ocean into a thimble. What we want is to fit into the world revealed by Scripture and to swim in its vast ocean. I think that's the attitude to approach the Scriptures right there. I believe that's as true as it gets. So when you read the Bible, come to it like that. Come to it saying, God, activate my imagination. God, activate my spirit. Let me get into the world of of, of this book right here and swim in it and live in it. Third, we study the Word. This is where I want to be clear. You need to sit down with a physical copy of the Bible and you need, when you approach the Word, and you need to have a pen and a pencil and a highlighter and maybe even a notebook, and you need to engage the Bible. You need to be prepared to interact with the Word through highlighting and notes. Write questions in the margin. Talk to the author in the margin. Have a conversation. And you'll be surprised how it illuminates. You'll be surprised how it comes to life. And if you have a question, go and search it out. You say, is it really that important that I know who the minor prophets are? Yes. Is it important that I know who the major prophets are? Yes. Is it important that I know that Deuteronomy is in the Old Testament and Hebrews is in the New? Yes. Why? Because my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. You've got to know. You've got to know the Word. No detail is too small. This day and time, I'll deviate a little bit from my soapbox on hard copy, physical. There's apps, there's Bible software, there's websites that make word studies and Greek and Hebrew cross-references so easy. 
I've got, I've got stuff on my uh, iPad that I, I purchased for less than $10, and I can tap on a word. It'll give me the Greek. It'll give me the pronunciation. It'll tell me how many times it's used in the Bible. Tell me, how many, tell me what the other places are it's used in the Bible. Give me alternate definitions to get kind of the sense of the meaning of the word. All of that is at your disposal. That's something I paid less than 10 bucks for. Some of it's free online. But you need to develop a habit of study the Word. Study the Word. 2 Timothy 2.15 Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. I've got, here I go referencing the clock. I've got just a minute, so I'll say this. Because it's not 10.30 yet, so I mean, I know I've, I've still got two hours. I heard of a guy, a teacher, famous Bible teacher. He takes these Journal of the Word Bibles, and the, the significance of that is, is on the margins, they're, they're wide margins. The text is, is way squeezed into the middle, and you have wide margins for writing. And he reads the Bible through every year with a different one of his grandchildren in mind. And as he's reading, he writes in those margins uh, thoughts and prayers and highlights and, you know, that kind of thing to a different grandchild. And then at the end of the year, presents that to that grandchild. Do you know what that would mean to me and to you if one of our grandparents had done that for us? It would, you, you talk about having to pry it out of my cold, dead hands. I wouldn't let that go. I love that. But get creative with it is my point. However you approach it, study the Word. Last one, handle the Word. We've got to handle the Word. Here it is. You ready? I'm, I'm starting New Grace Culture tonight. You ready? We're going to start bringing our Bibles to church. Thank you. I'm guilty. I'm guilty. I'm going to tell you right now, this is unusual for me. I don't even bring it into the pulpit with me. Pastor does, if you notice. I watch everything Pastor does. He don't know I put him under a microscope like that. But he's been bringing it to the pulpit. I don't know if you've noticed that. I, tonight's a first. I am taking a tip from Pastor, but also in light of what I'm preaching about, teaching about. I'm guilty because what happens is with service flow, and leading, and all the, there's a million things that go on behind the scenes. It's all on my iPad. And so I say, well, I've got the Bible app on my iPad. It's streamlined. It's good. Let's go. Let's have church. We've got to have our Bibles in church, folks, because we need to handle the Word of God. And I'm glad our students and teenagers are here tonight because we need to get familiar with the Bible. We need to know where verses are found and where books of the Bible are found. John 1 and 1, he says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled the word of life. We've got to be familiar with it. We've got to know it. I want us to adopt the attitude that the words on the screen are for our guests. We're going to keep them on the screen. That's not going to change. But let's just assume that that's for our guests. And that as Grace Church members... We're coming with our Bible and we're going to fact check everything that the minister, the preacher, the teacher has on the screen. And we're going to look it up. Of all the verses that we've read tonight and that you've set passively and read on the screen, and I'm saying that with a smile because if I was sitting over here, I'd done the same thing. Imagine if you had looked every one of those up in your Bible and followed along with me. You'd get to know your Bible pretty quickly. and pretty, You do that over the course of a month, six months, a year. This time next year, you'd know where... Hosea is, and you'd know where, um, you know, Micah is, and some of the more obscure books that we don't go to all the time. We need to be familiar with the Word of God. So I'm challenging you. Let's bring our Bibles back to church. What do you say? Let me share in closing. I came across this in my study and in my research, and I think it's beautiful. I, I, I read it to 
the critiquer, my wife, and in addition to telling me to take more time, she said it was worth sharing. I, I found it very inspirational. I, I asked her because sometimes when you, I feel like as a speaker, when you read something that's very lengthy, I'm, I'm afraid that sometimes it's lost. Um, but I do want to share this with you because I think it's beautiful. Billy Sunday was a famous evangelist of the 20th century. He was a baseball player first. He got converted, fired up for Jesus, and was a great evangelist, made his mark on the church of that day. And he wrote the following, I think is very, very great way to finish tonight. A little bit lengthy, but stay with me. He says this. He says, I entered the portico of Genesis, walked down the corridor of the Old Testament art galleries where pictures of Noah, Abraham, Moses, Joseph, Isaac, Jacob, and Daniel hang on the wall. I passed into the music room of the Psalms where the Spirit sweeps the keyboard of nature until it seems that every reed and pipe in God's great organ responds to the harp of David, the sweet singer of Israel. I entered the chamber of Ecclesiastes where the voice of the preacher is heard and into the conservatory of Sharon and the lily of the valley where sweet spices filled and perfumed my life. I entered the business office of the Proverbs and on into the observatory of the prophets where I saw telescopes of various sizes pointing to far-off events, concentrating on the bright and morning star which was to rise above the moonlit hills of Judea for our salvation and redemption. I entered the audience room of the King of Kings, catching a vision written by Mark, Matthew, or Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, thence into the correspondence room with Paul, Peter, James, and John writing their epistles. And I stepped into the throne room of Revelation where tower the glittering peaks, where sits the King of Kings upon his throne of glory with the healing of the nations in his hand. I just think that's a beautiful depiction of what it's like to journey through this beautiful word from beginning to end. God bless you tonight. God bless you. Let's get the word in our hearts. Amen? Amen? Yes. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. So new grace culture tonight. We're going to make the word a priority. It's going to help us. It's going to be a weapon we're going to use to stand in this last day. Amen? Amen. As you're dismissed, tell somebody, say, I'm going to bring my Bible Sunday, and we'll look forward to seeing you Sunday morning. God bless you tonight in Jesus' name.